0: a birthday, you light candles on a cake, and everybody celebrates. It's great. But on Christmas Eve, when we all light our candles, there's a little bit of sadness at the end of Silent Night when we all have to blow them out. You light a fire in your fireplace or in the fire pit in your backyard or in the fire ring in the state park and you enjoy the heat and warmth of the fire or just watch the the flames dance around um, uh, or perhaps uh, you roast a marshmallow on them. Fun times. But that same sort of fire was possibly what sparked uh, the flames in Maui that spread from dry grass to dry trees and incinerated a culture, a history of people in a matter of few hours. You wish you could just blow a fire like that out, but we can't. And of course there's the power of light all through scripture. Goodness, hope, possibility, and then it is, it is accompanied through life with all of the things that are hard and reflect the darkness of our souls or the souls of others. So frequently those things seemingly are what determine our path or the path of the world. But as people of faith, no, no, no. We are in a different place. We believe in the power of the light. It is transcendent. it is eternal, it is what wins the day. Let's talk about that a little bit, uh, based on today's scripture lesson, and then you know, how might that have real significance in the world we're living in right now. So welcome, welcome to this week's sermon. I don't know when you'll watch this one. We're in an interesting three-day period on the church calendar. Uh, so we're actually recording this on the 11th day of Christmas, January 4th. Tomorrow will be the fifth day of Christmas. Uh, or it will be the 12th day of Christmas, January 5th. That will immediately be followed by Epiphany Day, January 6th, the traditional visit of the uh, Magi to the baby Jesus and much gift giving around the world. And then based on, on the days of the week that Christmas fell in which this now falls, immediately thereafter, January 7th, which will be Sunday of this particular week, uh, we'll celebrate the baptism of our Lord. So Jesus like ages 30 years and 24 hours. He goes from an infant being visited uh, by the Magi on January 6th, to on this particular year, and this sequence only happens once every six or seven years, uh, on this particular year, we go immediately the next day to Jesus being 30 years old, baptized by John the Baptist in the wilderness. It's kind of funny when you think about it. Uh, But also when you think about it, Uh, there maybe is no corresponding three-day period that's as important uh, spiritually and on our church calendar as these three days. What would compare? Really, the only thing that could compare uh, would be the last days of Holy Week and Easter. But I think it's kind of a draw so if if you go backwards uh thinking of the uh seventh sixth and fifth uh january 7th the, the celebration of the birth of our lord baptism one of our two sacraments would correspond with Monday, thursday the gift of the last supper communion our other sacrament i'd say that's an even match up uh january 6th the epiphany the revelation of of the Incarnation of Emmanuel, the very presence of unconditional uh, love in our midst as a human being. Uh, Good Friday, uh, the Incarnation, uh, Redemption, the very presence of unconditional love in our life, an epiphany of its own sort, I'd say those are balanced. And then you have Easter morning, new life, resurrection, redemption, but it lines up with the 12th day of Christmas. Uh, New life, redemption, unconditional love, uh, the light of the world in our midst. I'd say Christmas and Easter uh, is kind of like the chicken and egg, you you really can't have one without the other, and so that's a draw. And so just kind of, you know, uh, theoretically on my part, I can't think of another more important three-day period in, in our theology or in our beliefs as followers of Jesus. And yet yet these three days don't get nearly as much attention as those three days uh, come Holy Week. So let's, let's pay a little attention to them. We'll start with the story uh, from today's gospel from Matthew chapter two, the visit of the Magi, and then we'll talk about uh, our world and how powerful and true that story still is for us. So let's start with the story itself. Uh, It starts with the magi, that's the Greek word that gets translated as wise men. Uh, We never know how many there were. We know they bring three gifts, but there could have been two, (coughs) excuse me, there could have been 20. Uh, All that we know is that they they perceive the star, and magi means they're a mix of astrologer and astronomer. It means they would have been kind of the scientists of their time. They would have been worldly and used to travel. They probably were uh, extremely affluent, and so these are significant people, uh, but not so significant that they don't notice the birth of the star uh, in the skies, And, and their curiosity uh, gets the best of them and they decide we, we have to go find it. It must portend the birth of a king. And has it ever struck you as interesting that they, they seek a king not their own, uh, but their curiosity is more important than their allegiance to any one king, and, and they head towards the star. And when they get to the Bethlehem, uh, they are wise enough to ask for directions. Uh, They're significant enough that they get a private audience with the local king, Herod, who would have been put in place uh, by Caesar Augustus at that time. And and in the midst of all of that, Herod himself responds and says, yeah, hey, tell me about where you find him so that I can worship him too. And and then they they finish their quest, they make it to Bethlehem, they find the child. Upon finding him, they share, they, they, they bring out their gifts, and then they are overwhelmed with joy. And, and the last part of their story is that, again, they have the wisdom to recognize, eh, we're not going to tell Herod, and they return to their home country by another path. It is an amazing story filled with light. Until we consider the other character in the story, Herod, interestingly, usually referred to by historians as Herod the Great, because he did much public infrastructure in Israel. He rebuilt uh, the largely dilapidated temple at the time. He was an Idumean, which means he was Semitic, which means he was kind of related to the Jewish people, and as a result, he he followed Jewish customs, at least in public, like uh, eating kosher, not eating pork, among other things. Seems like a nice guy, right? But he was paranoid and homicidal. Uh, there's a great story that I've shared uh, about Caesar Augustus and kind of this erudite sense of humor that he had when he thought about his appointee, Herod, uh, because he knew that Herod had had several of his own sons executed as potential threats uh, to his reign in that part of the world, and he also knew that he followed kosher, and so at one point Caesar Augustus says, you're better off being Herod's pig than his son. Your, your life survival chances are a little bit higher. And and this then is Herod. He, upon hearing uh, about the wise men, uh, the magi and their little mission, he is frightened and all Jerusalem with him. But Jerusalem isn't frightened because they share uh, anything in common with Herod. They're just terrified because of what Herod might do to them if he's scared. And so he's afraid. and, And he tries to find out when the child is born and where the child is so that he can wipe the child out. And when the when the when the magi do not return to him, that's exactly what he does. He he has all the children of Bethlehem under the age of two killed. The only way Jesus escapes is because Mary and Joseph have a dream and they, they flee to Egypt before they can be found. It is so much darkness in the midst of so much light. What's what's the difference? I mean and and not even our best moments, but I think in our moments where, where we are being disciples of Jesus Christ, which I think for a lot of us is, is actually a lot of the time. We are, we are the magi. In other words, we too understand the importance of curiosity about our world. We too uh, should never be so aligned with one, with one king, with one politics, with one uh, overriding set of priorities in our own lives, that we cannot be curious about something entirely different. And in fact, not just be curious about it, but pursue it. And pursue it at, at considerable cost, perhaps in time or, or money or something else. And, and as we pursue it, to not be afraid to ask for help and instructions. But when we finally reach the spot, when we finally see Christ revealed in ourselves or in someone else, In other words, in those moments of epiphany, they they open our hearts with with an amazing capacity to share and an overwhelming sense of joy. This is what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And and what's different about it? What's different in the story is that, is that so very sadly, Herod, he, he walks alone. Nobody's with him. He's afraid of everyone else. He pushes everyone away. Um, uh, his is a, a journey that gets only less and less filled with light. And, and the Magi are just the opposite. Uh, they start in the light of the star and, and they journey ever forward uh, into the light of the star. It is an amazing thing until they get to the light of the epiphany itself. This then is our spiritual heritage. What does it mean to us in our world today? One of the things I'm struck by right now in, in our country is the intense debate about immigration along our southern border. Uh, there are a lot of political opinions on that and there is no probably one solution to that and so it's, it's rightly debated. But uh, the thing that we can bring in a sense to all of those conversations as Christians is that before you get engaged in any uh, partisan debate and, and before really you can even uh, wisely come up with the best of solutions, and, unless you remember that we're all human beings with certain human vulnerabilities and needs, and, and unless we have empathy for the plight of the people who come to the border, then we will for sure make the wrong decisions about their lives and our own lives. One of the things that's striking about so many of the people that are coming to the border right now is that they come from Venezuela itself, either as citizens of that country or or they are people who've come from Africa and Asia and and travel via Venezuela. The significance of that is is this. Uh, One of our sons, our youngest son, Michael, served in the US Peace Corps in Panama just prior to COVID um it's one of the countries the uh, Peace Corps and the U.S military have have been in the longest and and where uh, both had some of their largest international deployments. Uh, one of the places that the Peace Corps for sure didn't go and and which the military even didn't go very often was was to the one province that surrounds the Darien Gap, which is the profoundly jungled rainforest region between Colombia and Panama uh, which is is almost impossible to... Uh, 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 Travel through uh, as a human being, filled and fraught with danger. Uh, but but in today's world, as as people stream uh, from Venezuela through Colombia into Panama and then northward, uh, hundreds and thousands of people have survived the Darien Gap. And and what's what's the difference? We human beings, when we travel alone, we have no chance. But all these people are traveling to, together, and and when they travel together. Uh, they, they can get through a place as, as dangerous and dense as the Darien Gap. And, and why do they come here? Some of them come here because they're afraid for their lives. Some of them come here because of the poverty in the, which they live. And I think a lot of them come here, if, if there are any parallels uh, to our partners in El Salvador, is that many of them wish to stay where they are, but, but sometimes they hear these stories that, that America is like heaven on earth. And, and we all know that that's not necessarily true. America isn't always heaven on earth for all of its inhabitants. But, but when you live in a sort of hell and you, you hear of heaven on earth, you're, you're gonna be drawn in that direction. And so our love and our empathy uh, has to be for, for people who, who um, in such dire circumstances go through such dire circumstances to get to our borders while also remembering the, the needs and, and plights of so many people already in our own country. And and perhaps, um, you know, regardless of what you or I might think the political solution is, as, as people of God and Jesus Christ, one of the most important solutions for us to remember is is unconditional love towards our neighbors and the awareness that, Ours is a God of great abundance. We should not think of scarcity when we think of problems like this. We should think of abundance and and how it can be multiplied and shared in our world. This is a powerful thing for us to work on as the people of God and as a congregation, perhaps with some unique insight uh, because of our years of walking alongside our partners in El Salvador. Uh, Another parallel today's today's world. the Hamas invasion of Israel on October 7th. Um, over 1,000 people slaughtered mercilessly and horrifically. Um, but that now has been followed by exponentially larger numbers of people uh, being killed in, as part of the re- retaliation by Israel. Um, it is horrific suffering on all sides, and it's the suffering that, that echoes suffering from um, decades ago and centuries ago and millennia ago. And it creates um, such gloom and darkness in the human soul and and the fear that it might spread further. These things are real in our world. How how will there ever be light in the midst of all of that? And then finally there's Unity Lutheran Church, 2024, a year probably of some change in our midst. Calling pastors, calling 2 pastors, not something we or most congregations have a lot of experience with. And there will be other challenges too. Um, Always the economics of a church are a challenge. Our priorities, I think honestly, one of the challenges that we face is that uh, the people of this congregation are so very involved and busy in so many things. But the people of this congregation are also involved that there are so many opportunities for us to do significant and important mission. But, but how do busy people fit in one or two or five more things to, to fulfill those missions? And, and, and we, as a church, don't want to overwhelm people with one more thing, and yet we also, as a church, recognize what a significant impact we can have on lives, and we don't want to let that go either. That is a super hard line to walk. And, and so uh, from, from call processes to, to how do we prioritize and actually achieve ministry goals year after year sometimes those things are a little bit overwhelming i I think actually great joy is found sometimes in in the in the littlest of things um it's, it's it, it, the best example I can think of is anytime any one of our musical groups, uh, they rehearse a song and they rehearse a song and they never quite get it right. And, the, and they come into the live performance thinking, wow, this, this is gonna be a disaster. But instead they hit it, they hit it just right. And in that moment there is great joy, not just in those musicians, but the people who get to absorb the beauty and the, and the power of that sound. And suddenly there is light <laughs> in the midst of what perhaps had been perceived as impending darkness. Fear isolates us, it causes us to be alone. When we're not afraid, which of course is one of the great messages of both Christmas and Easter, when we are not afraid, we resist the temptation to walk alone. And instead, there is something about us that is that is um, uh, curious enough and energetic enough and connectional enough to seek otherwise women and men and children out so that we could walk together, uh, not just toward the light, but in the light while being the light. This is our profound gift and power to share with the world in 2024, I hope every once in a while, you will think back to Christmas Eve, and you will think back to these three days, Christmas, Epiphany, Baptism, and perhaps you'll even remember this candle and the light that it sheds, and it will occur to you that even if you are afraid or discouraged, or we are struggling, or you are struggling, That that something inside you will be reborn. Something inside you will be washed with the waters of baptism. Something inside you will give voice to the Christmas good news. There will be a revelation within you, and you know what it will be? You You will look around, and you will see that you are surrounded by fellow followers of Christ, and you will say to yourself, I do not walk alone.